This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 138, entitled Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, and the pre-existence of Jesus. The pre-existence of Jesus is often a frustrating doctrine to discuss. There are many proof texts that are regularly supplied to suggest that a given biblical author believed in the pre-existence of Jesus. And many discussions that biblical Unitarians engage on this topic involve having to do the difficult but necessary work of setting the particular proof text in its context to demonstrate that that is not, in fact, talking about preexistence or showing how the preexistence is something other than literal preexistence. While it is clear to many that Jesus came into existence at the moment of his birth, and that both Testaments insist that Jesus is a lineal human descendant from Abraham and David, some still feel that a handful of cited proof text is enough to overturn all of that evidence and settle the debate in favor of Jesus existing alongside God the Father in heaven during Old Testament times. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 is one of those proof texts. So I thought it might be fun to dedicate an entire episode to looking at this passage. In this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will examine Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 to see what it says about the preexistence of Jesus if anything at all. First, we will look at the passage and identify any ambiguities that exist in the text. Second, we will look at what modern biblical scholars have to say about the passage so that we become as well informed as we can on the matter pertaining to the text. Lastly, we will look at how the New Testament authors draw upon Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 and how they interpret the passage. Does Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 prove that Jesus consciously existed alongside God in heaven prior to the virgin birth? Well, let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is examining the text of Malachi 3.1. I'll go ahead and read the passage from the New American Standard Version. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. That's Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. The real issue with this passage deals with identifying who is speaking and who 
are the persons involved. Discerning the identity of the speaker is pretty easy. The end of the verse indicates that Yahweh of hosts is talking. Thus, it is Yahweh who says that he is going to send his messenger. And this messenger will clear the way before Yahweh. So now we have a second figure referenced, a messenger figure. Based on what we know about how messengers functioned in the ancient Near East and the principle of agency, we can already begin to interpret this passage. First of all, a messenger represents the sender in the fullest possible way. The agent carries the authority and often the prerogatives of the sender. And since the sender is Yahweh himself, we can expect this messenger to bear considerable authority. Second, since the messenger carries forth a message from Yahweh himself, we should not be surprised if the messenger acts like, sounds like, looks like, or even is described like Yahweh. However, it is very important to note that while the agent represents his sender to the highest degree, the two persons remain distinct, and they should never be collapsed into one person. The messenger is not Yahweh himself, but rather fully represents Yahweh. Third, the Hebrew noun malach, in the equivalent Greek noun angelos, render into the English noun messenger that we see in our current passage. And a messenger could be, in both of these biblical languages, either a human messenger or it could refer to a heavenly messenger, often angelic in nature. Herein lies some of the ambiguity of the passage. But we are in no rush to come to a conclusion on that matter. What we can say for certain is that Yahweh of hosts, according to Malachi, will send his messenger and that this messenger will clear the way before Yahweh. Now we can move a bit further into the passage. The next sentence of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 introduces some more complexity. It says, And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. Now we have a reference to a figure called the Lord, Ha-Adon in Hebrew. And we also have a reference to someone called the Messenger of the Covenant. So while it seems clear that we can discern two persons thus far in the passage, Yahweh of hosts and his messenger, what are we to make of the Lord and the Messenger of the Covenant? Does the Lord refer back to Yahweh himself? Is the Messenger of the Covenant the same messenger spoken of earlier in the verse? Or are these additional persons to the initial two that we already established? As you can see, things aren't very clear 
in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1? If I had to take a guess, I would say that the messenger of the covenant is likely the same messenger referred to at the beginning of the passage. Both are described with the same Hebrew noun for messenger, malach, and it is not abundantly clear that the author wants the reader to regard this messenger as an additional messenger, potentially making two messengers in Malachi 3 verse 1. It seems most natural to assume that this is just a single messenger figure. In regard to the Lord who will come to his temple, my initial reaction is to regard this as a reference to Yahweh, since the temple is Yahweh's. I'm also inclined to think that the Lord is a reference to Yahweh himself because the verse indicates that the Lord whom you seek will come to his temple, indicating that although the second temple had been built for around 100 years or so, depending on the dating of Malachi, God had not entered into the temple, as we see with God entering into Solomon's temple. Malachi seems to be indicating that the Lord, whom I think is Yahweh, will come to his temple. But the coming of Yahweh to his temple will be predicated on the arrival of a messenger, namely the messenger of the covenant. Now, some interpreters think that there are more than two persons referenced in Malachi 3 verse 1. Since the text is ambiguous, there could be a reference to more than two persons. I can freely admit that. But this would require an explanation of how the temple belongs to a Lord who is distinct from Yahweh himself. And it's not altogether clear from reading the Hebrew Bible that the temple belongs to another heavenly figure other than Yahweh. It seems that the temple belongs to Yahweh alone. I also want to point out that the messenger mentioned in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, whom I regard as one and the same as the messenger of the covenant spoken of in that same verse, is a figure that Yahweh is going to send. But this expression of sending does not demonstrate that this messenger is already alive from the perspective of Malachi writing. It simply indicates Yahweh's intention as the participle with the verb shalak indicates in Hebrew. Yahweh is intending to send a messenger without any reference to where that messenger is at the time of the writing of Malachi. In other words, the text of Malachi 3 and verse 1 does not state that this messenger is already alive, and suggestions that this messenger is the pre-existent Jesus are inferring something that the Hebrew simply does not state. Before we wrap up this first point, we need to draw attention to a later reference in Malachi regarding the messenger whom Yahweh is going to send. 
The final two verses of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, say, quote, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That's Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, the last two verses of the biblical book of Malachi. It seems that these final two verses offer some clarification on the identity of the messenger whom Yahweh is planning to send. The messenger is Elijah the prophet. So we have some further confirmation regarding the messenger figure from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. He will be a human being in the likeness of Elijah, who is one of the most famous prophetic figures in the history of Israel. We also see a clear distinction between Yahweh and this messenger figure, Elijah. Of course, there needs to be some explanation of how Elijah, who lived 500 years before the writing of Malachi, came to act as a prophet whom God will send. But the New Testament will have a thing or two to say on that matter. More on that point later. Now that I have offered my initial observation of Malachi 3 and verse 1, we should take some time to educate ourselves with the voices of modern biblical scholars and specialists who focus on the book of Malachi. I personally am not a specialist on the book of Malachi with my biblical training, so I like to listen to the most educated persons on that particular subject. And it's to those persons we will now turn. Our second point today is listening to what specialists and scholars on Malachi have to say about chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I own five commentaries on Malachi. And while I have access to dozens more, since I am on staff at a theological institution of higher learning, I figured that five additional voices to my own would be sufficient to get a good feel for what modern specialists have to say about Malachi 3 and verse 1. The first text we'll look at is the Berit Olam commentary on the Twelve Prophets by Marvin Sweeney. In regard to Malachi 3.1, he says that Yahweh's messengers or angels appear especially in the context of theophany, where they represent Yahweh. He goes on and he says that Yahweh's angel, sometimes called my angel slash messenger, is particularly noted for its role in leading the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage. He continues and says, insofar as the pillar of cloud and fire employs the imagery of the lighted altar from the temple to symbolize Yahweh's theophanic presence, it would appear that the messenger in Malachi 3.1 also is to be identified with Yahweh's theophany in the temple as symbolized by the altar, lit 
with the fires that consume the sacrificial offerings of Israel. He continues and says, The reference to the messenger of the covenant likewise presupposes this role as the functioning temple symbolizes the covenant relationship that binds Yahweh and Israel together. As noted in the discussion of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 23, which in English is chapter 4 and verse 5, below, the messenger is best identified as the prophet Elijah. So that is what Marvin Sweeney has to say, and there's some interesting discussion there in regard to the identity of the messenger and how the messenger functions as an agent of God's presence, often as an angel. But it's also interesting that he is very clear to point out that Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 identifies this messenger as the prophet Elijah. The next commenter we will look at is Eline Schuler, who wrote the commentary on Malachi in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary. Eileen says that most commentators have suggested that chapter 3, verses 1-5 through five underwent considerable development and secondary expansion. In the present form of the text, the first-person voice alternates with the third person, and there is a confusing multiplicity of figures. My messenger, the Lord, the messenger of the covenant. The identity of these various figures remains vague and does not seem to be the main focus of the passage. Dr. Schuler continues in her commentary and says, Since the identity of the messenger in chapter 3 verse 1 is not specified, some commentators have raised the possibility that he is, in fact, the prophet of the book, because Malachi in Hebrew means my messenger. But this is unlikely, since it would eliminate the whole eschatological thrust of the passage. By the time the prophetic corpus was brought together, and the verses in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5-6 through six, added as an epilogue, at least one stream of Jewish tradition had already identified the messenger with the prophet Elijah and his promised return. In the New Testament, the Synoptic Gospels identify explicitly the unnamed messenger of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 with John the Baptist. All that is what Eileen Schuler says in her commentary. Again, indicating the ambiguity of identifying the persons involved, talking about the messenger. She doesn't seem to think that the messenger is Malachi himself, but she is also clear to point out that chapter 4, verse 5, indicates that it is an Elijah-type figure, and she also indicates that the New Testament identifies this Elijah figure with John the Baptist, not with Jesus. Moving on, we'll look at Ralph Smith's word biblical commentary on Malachi. He says that, quote, he says that he is going to send the participle shalak expressing imminent action. He is about to send my messenger, who will prepare or clear the way before me. The messenger is not identified by name or origin. We do not know if he was a man or 
an angel. Numerous theories have been suggested to identify this messenger forerunner. Some have argued that he was Malachi the prophet. Ralph Smith goes on and says that there is a shift from the first person to the third person in the middle of chapter 3, verse 1. Yahweh begins by saying he is sending his messenger to prepare the way for his coming. And the prophet says that the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant which you desire. Here, the Lord is coming or returning to his temple according to the word of Ezekiel. And he cites chapter 43, verses 2 through 4, and Haggai chapter 1 and verse 8. And this passage in Malachi is eschatological. If Lord, Smith continues, is Yahweh, who is the messenger of the covenant? Again, a definitive answer is not possible. So it's interesting that Ralph Smith also, like these other commentators, identifies the ambiguity in the text, talks about suggestions on whom this messenger might be, talks about how the Hebrew could refer to a human being or an angel, and he talks about how the discussion of Yahweh sending this messenger involves the intent with the participle. Let's look at what Michael Floyd has to say in his work, which is the Forms of Old Testament Literature on the Minor Prophets, Part 2. Floyd says that this matter is further complicated by the fact that Malak could refer to a heavenly being rather than a prophetic figure, an angel whose epiphany would be tantamount to the disclosure of Yahweh's own presence. The first phrase may thus entail the coming of a messenger sent by Yahweh as something altogether distinct from the subsequent coming of Yahweh himself. He goes on and he says, In any case, the first phrase demonstrates something with regard to the covenant, berit in Hebrew, a relationship between Yahweh and his people that has previously been defined as cultically based, citing Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. So Michael Floyd is interested in pointing out that the ambiguity of the messenger figure exists in the text, could be a human prophet or could be an angel. He also indicates that this messenger seems to be someone distinct from Yahweh himself which seems to be pretty obvious to me. And he also points out that there is a cultic relationship within the text. What that means is that it deals with the temple cult and the temple activities. We'll have more to say about that later. And lastly, we're going to look at what William Brown has to say in the Westminster Bible Companion series of commentaries. William Brown is actually a colleague of mine at Columbia Seminary. He says that in the form of a judgment, Malachi answers the question of where God is by heralding the Lord's coming. Chapter 3 and verse 1. First, a messenger is to come to prepare the way. Apart from the appendix in chapter 4, verse 5, 
the identity of the messenger remains a mystery. Various commentators have suggested all of the following. Malachi, an anonymous priest, Ezra, and an angel. The messenger is further qualified as one grounded in the covenant, hence perhaps a Levitical priest. In any case, the identity of the messenger is not as crucial in relation to the fact that the Lord is coming into the temple. It's an interesting observation by William Brown in that if we didn't have chapter 4 and verse 5, which he thinks is an appendix to Malachi, we would think that this potential coming messenger could potentially be Malachi, a priest, Ezra, or an angel. If it is a priest, it is perhaps a Levitical priest. Of course, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 does tell us that it is an Elijah-type figure. So, what are some observations that we can walk away with based strictly on what biblical scholars are saying about Malachi? Well, first, we can see that they all admit that there is some ambiguity in the messenger. They don't try to settle it. They don't try to solve it. And many of them freely admit that the identity of the messenger is not even the primary focus of the text. So they admit there's ambiguity. They also point to the end of Malachi, chapter 4 and verse 5, where the messenger is identified as Elijah. Many of these commentators make that particular point. And none of the scholars even suggest that a pre-existent Jesus Christ is a possible interpretive option. None of them even mention Jesus within their commentary on Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. It's just not even a scholarly option that is seriously considered by modern Malachi specialists. So this leads us to our third point. Point number three is what the New Testament has to say about Malachi 3 and verse 1. So I'm just going to read some passages from Matthew, Mark, and Luke to see how these New Testament authors understand the intention of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. So let's start in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. That's Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, where Jesus explicitly says that the one who is the messenger that is preparing the way before Yahweh is John the Baptist. Matthew has more to say about this in chapter 17, starting in verse 10. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. And also, 
the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. That's Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. So not only does Jesus tell us that the one coming is John the Baptist, we have the disciples themselves understanding that the Elijah figure that was coming is John the Baptist. Let's look at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, to where Mark says it is written in Isaiah the prophet, but what he actually does is that he takes a reference from Isaiah chapter 40, and also our reference from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, lumps them all together. He calls it a reference to Isaiah the prophet, but it is clear that the Malachi reference is included in that. And it's also clear that Mark explicitly says that this is in reference to John the Baptist appearing in the wilderness preaching. Luke begins his gospel in chapter 1 with Zacharias, and Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. And Zacharias prophesies in Luke chapter 1, and this is what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. Citing there, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. So that is Luke chapter 1, verse 76, where John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, prophesies in regard to the child that he is in fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. And Luke later says in chapter 7, starting in verse 27, that this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's Luke chapter 7, verses 27 through 28, where Jesus again identifies John the Baptist as the messenger from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. What is interesting from the perspective of these three gospel accounts is that while Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 speaks of a messenger preparing the way for Yahweh of hosts to come to the temple, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus to come to the temple. This is not to say that Jesus and Yahweh of hosts are one and the same. But Jesus, the one sent by God, functions as Yahweh's agent. As we all know, when Jesus entered the temple in all four gospel accounts, a blessing was not given, but rather a prophetic act of judgment and rejection. In other words, Yahweh had visited the temple in the person of Yahweh's appointed agent, the messianic son of God. So in conclusion, 
we have observed that, first, the post-exilic prophet Malachi felt inspired to prophesy about the return of Yahweh to his temple. The Lord of hosts, speaking through the prophet Malachi, spoke of his intention to come to his temple and that his coming would be precipitated by a messenger figure. According to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, this messenger figure, who is unnamed and unidentified, will prepare the way for Yahweh of hosts to come to his temple. Second, Jesus is not mentioned anywhere in Malachi, especially in chapter 3 and verse 1. There is no suggestion or hint that the messenger of Yahweh is a pre-incarnate Jesus. We also noted that biblical scholars do not even consider a potential pre-existent Jesus to be a possible option in their interpretations of Malachi. For specialists on the biblical text of Malachi, Jesus is not the promised messenger. Third, Malachi itself and biblical scholars point to an Elijah figure that seems to be the formerly unidentified messenger of the covenant. This further reinforces the conclusion that the messenger is not a pre-existent Jesus. Fourth, the New Testament Gospels regard John the Baptist as the prophet who comes in the spirit of Elijah. Three Gospels in particular quote Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 explicitly in regard to John the Baptist. Lastly, John the Baptist prepared the way for Yahweh to visit the temple, and Yahweh of hosts visited the temple through an agent, namely the authorized and anointed Son of God. Jesus, functioning as the fully empowered agent of Yahweh, the one who was sent by God, fulfilled the promise that Yahweh would visit the temple. For Jesus to function as the empowered and commissioned agent of Yahweh, the gospel writers are exhibiting a high human Christology. Thanks for turning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we look at some arguments for God being more than one person within the Old Testament. Are these arguments convincing or misguided? Join us next week to find out. If you've enjoyed the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends and by writing an honest review on iTunes. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you may check out the episode's description for a PayPal link. Special thanks to Dustin Williams for his post-production and the editing of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Thank you very much. And for the rest of you, thanks for listening. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.